As many of you know, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about today. And the entire series is about the fact that today is all that we have. And just not the fact that today is important for you. Today is most important for you. Today is most important for me. If you haven't been here and you're watching online, you're at one of our campuses, let me just catch you up in a statement. Today is the most important day of your life. And you may not feel like the most important day of your life. And looking back over your life, you may be able seemingly to make a case that there were some other days that were more important than this day. But today, in the truest sense, today is the most important day of your life because yesterday can't be changed uh, for good or for bad. Didn't matter what happened, you can't go back, you can't change it, can't redo it, can't undo it. Today is the most important day of your life because yesterday can't be changed and tomorrow may never come. So if tomorrow may never come and yesterday can't be altered or edited or changed in any way, it really does mean that today is the most important day of your life because it's all that you have. It's all that I have. And the more that we appreciate today, the more that we find ourselves being filled with gratitude for today, the more that we are overwhelmed with the potential for today, the better off we're going to be, not only as men and women, moms and dads, you know, sons and daughters, but as followers of Jesus, because Jesus was very clear about the importance of today, and so that's what we've been talking about. Uh, back in 2019, I came across something that I read, and, and I love to read all kinds of things, and, and some of it has to do with you know faith, some of it doesn't, and every once in a while I'll come across something that you know kind of just sticks with me, and and I just can't shake it, I can't stop thinking about it, and. Back in the end part of 2019, I think somewhere around September, October, I read something and it was just a little short story and it was just an account of something that had happened. And I, I found myself consistently since then, all throughout last year in 2020, I found myself revisiting it, not only in my mind, but I found myself revisiting it in conversation. So I'd be with friends, I'd say, hey, you know, let me tell you about something I read, or, you know, I wouldn't even mention that I read it. I, I, I just would say, you know, something I've been thinking about lately is this, but it was all tied to this particular story. And, and it's a story about a brother who lost his sister. And, and this brother who lost his sister is with his brother-in-law and they're preparing for the funeral. And, and those of you who've had to do that, you know what all that entails. And so they were getting ready to go to the funeral home. And so you begin to prepare and you begin to get outfits. And sometimes you just go through drawers and, and you're just looking and you know, your mind's kind of scattered, you're kind of numb. And, and it's just a really difficult moment. But there they are, this brother who's lost his sister and his brother-in-law, and they're gathering up clothes. And I wanna read you just a little bit of this story because I, I found it something that I couldn't get away from. It says, my brother-in-law opened the bottom drawer and lifted out a tissue-wrapped package. This, he said, it's not a slip. This is lingerie. He discarded the tissue and he handed me the slip. It was exquisite, silk, handmade, trimmed with a cobweb of lace. The price tag with an astronomical figure was still attached. Jan bought this the first time we went to New York, at least eight or nine years ago, her husband said. He looked at me and said she never wore it. She was saving it for a special occasion. Well, I guess this is the occasion. He took the slip from me and he put it on the bed with the other clothes that we were taking to the mortician his hands lingered on the soft material for a moment. Then he slammed the door shut and he turned to me and he said, don't ever save anything for a special occasion. Every day you're alive is a special 
occasion. The brother said, I remember those words through the funeral and the days that followed when I helped him and my niece attend to all the sad chores that follow an unexpected death. I thought about those words on the plane returning to California. I thought about all the things that my sister hadn't seen or had not done. I thought about all the things that she had done without realizing that they were special. I'm still thinking about his words and they've changed my life. I'm reading more and I'm dusting less. I'm sitting on the deck and admiring the view without fussing about the weeds in the garden. I'm spending more time with my family and my friends and less time in meetings. Whenever possible, life should be a pattern of experience to savor, not endure. I'm trying to recognize these moments now and I'm trying to cherish them. Listen to this, I just love this. He says, I'm not saving anything. We, used to, we, used, we use our good china and crystal for every special event like losing a pound. Isn't that great? Honey, I lost a pound, get out the fine china, come on. Set the table, he says, we're not saving anything for a special occasion. He says, someday and one of these days are losing their grip in my vocabulary. If it's worth seeing or hearing or doing, I wanna see and hear it and do it now. I'm not sure what my sister would have done had she known that she wouldn't be here for the tomorrow that we all take for granted. I think she would have called some family members and some close friends. She may have called a few former friends to apologize and mend some fences for past squabbles. I like to even think maybe she would have gone out for Chinese dinner, her favorite food. I'm just guessing, I'll never know. He says, and in those little things left undone, he says, that's where I used to find my anger. But now I try to leave nothing undone. Notes that need to be written, I write. Words that need to be spoken, I speak. And he says, and every morning I open my eyes, I tell myself that today is special. Every minute, every breath is a gift from God. Now, you may say, what's the big deal with that story? Well, it may not be a big deal for you, but for whatever, it lodged deep in my mind. It it lodged down there in my heart because I kept coming back to this idea that in life, there is no such thing as a special occasion. There is no such thing as a special, you know, time or special event so much. Every day is a special occasion and we should live like it. That every day is a special occasion. Every day is a gift. Every breath you take, every step you're able to take, every conversation, every person you're able to be with, it is a special occasion. And the idea being, don't be so rigid. Don't be so reserved or distracted or busy or legalistic or lazy or concerned about what somebody will think or say that you don't live today. I think that's the takeaway. And not only is it the takeaway of that story, but we find that same sentiment all throughout the scriptures. Live today. Don't let any of the shallow things keep you from living life today and making the most of today. That's why I want us to talk about something today that is stealing today from many of you, perhaps from most of us. It's something so common. It's something so acceptable. It's something that's just become part of our lives. We don't even realize the fact that it is stealing today from us. Every day that we're living, we are having a little bit of today stolen from us because of this thing that we refuse to let go of, because of this thing that we've allowed to become entrenched, to become a stronghold in our lives. It's something that's subtle, but yet it is insidious. It's absolutely insidious, it's devastating. It's something that will rob you of focus. It was something that will drain me of my energy. It will paralyze us of progress. It smothers joy. It takes away peace. 
And if we hold on to it, we'll lose the ability to live life. We'll lose the ability to enjoy life. We'll lose the ability to celebrate life. And I don't want that for you. And I don't think we want that for each other. And it's something that we just don't talk that much about, though Jesus spoke about it specifically. It's worry or anxiety. Now, the word anxiety has a 21st century, you know, connotation that I'm not speaking of. I'm not talking about a clinical anxiety. I'm not talking about something that you and your doctor are trying to work out over medication. I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance that's leading to this anxiety problem. I'm talking about worry and anxiety that is common to life. I'm not talking about a medical condition. I'm talking about a human condition. I'm talking about worry and anxiety that just goes along with life. Now, when it comes to worry and anxiety, we don't like to admit we have a problem with it, right? You know, I never grew up hearing anybody at, you know, Wednesday night prayer meeting say, you know, pray for me, I got a worry problem. You know, I never heard that. And you don't hear a bunch of guys get together and say, man, you just need to pray for me, man. I'm just, I've just got a worry problem. It's just something about it. We don't like the way it sounds in our 21st century Western mindset. We, We don't like thinking of the fact that we've got a problem with worry or that we're struggling with worry or the sin of worry is in our life, is in our heart, is in our mind, right? It's, it's a problem, it, it's a thing, but it's certainly not a sin and it's not something that's holding me back, surely not. We don't like to admit it. So we come up with other words, right? We've got words like stress. Man, I'm just, I'm stressed, you know, I'm stressed. Man, you just, you know, I'm just, you just don't know how stressed I am right now, or pressure. And I'm under a lot of pressure at work. Uh, there's a lot of pressure right now at the office. There's a lot of pressure right now at home. We got a lot of things going on. There's just a lot of pressure. You know, words like angst, you know, or fret or unease. Man, I'm just uneasy. I'm just uneasy about all of this. I mean, I, I watch the news. I, I see everything. I'm just kind of uneasy about it all. About it all. Or I, I'm alarmed. I, 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 I'm just alarmed about things. You know, I, I'm, I'm agitated with some things. All of those things sound more sophisticated. All of those things are a bit more palatable than to say, you know what, I'm spending all my time worrying. It's easier to say I'm stressed or I'm under pressure or I'm a little agitated or, you know, I'm uneasy about some things. It sounds a little bit better to say those things than to say, you know what, man, I'm just, I'm worrying. And I may be worrying so much that I'm not living life today the way that I'm supposed to be living life today. Now, Now, when you take stress and you take agitation and you take angst and fret and you take unease and all of those things and you peel it back like an onion, more times than not, what you're gonna find underneath all of those things is worry. That attached to stress is worry, attached to fret is worry, attached to agitation is worry. That in some way, those things that we like to hide behind, behind, that underneath it is worry. Uh, One psychologist, he said, when it comes to stress, it is probably one of the biggest risks we face. And this irony, I just find funny, and it's true. The more worried you are that you might get sick, the more likely it is that you will. Or if you do get sick, that you'll end up sicker or even dead from an illness that you might've survived if you just didn't go around and worry so much. The more worried you are about the health of your heart, the more damage you do to your heart. The more worried you are about losing your memory, and man, I have thought about that lately. I've just been like, man, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my memory. Somebody will say, you know, you just told me that the other day. And I'm like, I did? Do I do that in sermons? And you're thinking, you do? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my memory? And then I read this, and I'm like, I gotta stop worrying about my memory. If my memory's bad, it's just getting worse. And it was just a horrible moment. But if you worry about losing your memory, the more your memory fades 
The list of damage that worry can do because of the biology of stress is long and scary. And then he comes to you know, the punchline and he says, which means that not worrying more than we have to may be the best thing that we can do for our health. And just not physical health, but as we'll talk about in just a moment, our spiritual health as well. Now, a quick uh, Google of worry or anxiety, you can find out what it does. Everything from headache to you know, chest pain to back pain to high blood pressure and lowered immunity, which sounds important during a pandemic, you know, sleep problems, insecurity, acid reflux, you know, uh, irritability, burnout, and you know, you can just go on and on and on with the symptoms. And you know, some of you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning these symptoms and you're getting worried because you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I, I tell you, I, I have kind of felt, you know, like my pulse is racing and all of this. And, and that's the way it is. That's the way life goes. Most of the time we don't even pay attention to it, but then we start talking about it and it's like, oh, well maybe. So the reason that it's important for us to talk about this is because if you can get rid of worry today, it's gonna to free you up to live today. And if you and I push worry out of today, it's gonna to make tomorrow better. And we're gonna be glad that we did tomorrow if we push stress and worry and anxiety out of our today. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, who's one of my favorite preachers, he's still pastoring into his 80s in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, he wrote, he said this, he said, the pressures of our times, and this is so wise, the pressures of our times have many of us caught in the web of the most acceptable, yet energy draining sin in the Christian family, worry. We just don't think about worry like that, do we? We don't even think about it as a sin. You know, there's a whole bunch of other sins that we like to talk about, and there's a whole bunch of other sins we love to point at, but man, we don't really wanna talk about worry being a sin because that gets a little close to home. He says, the stress from worry drains our energy and it preoccupies our minds, stripping us, stripping us of peace. Few in God's family are exempt. We stress over big things and little things. Some of us have a laundry list of concerns that feed our addiction to worry. And then listen to his words. Anxiety has become a favorite pastime that we love to hate. And worse, and I would even say, parentheses, worst of all, we're passing it on to our children. As they see worry on our faces, as they hear it from our lips, we're mentoring them in the art of anxiety. In other words, we're discipling our sons and daughters how to be anxious. We're discipling our sons and daughters how to worry. We're discipling them in the way of no peace. We're discipling them in the way of fear. And, and I think that the reason that this is so important today, if you're a parent, this is for your children. And if your children are with you, children, this is for you. Students, this is for you. College students, this is for you. It doesn't matter how young you are right here, and it doesn't matter how old you are. This is something that pertains to us all. And what we're finding out statistically, it may have to do more with us the younger that we are. In 2016, Time Magazine, they, they ran an article called The Kids Are Not All Right. And this was a picture of the cover, Anxiety, Depression, and the Modern Adolescent. And the gist of the article was simply this, that kids are growing more anxious, more depressed, and more overwhelmed at an alarming rate. That kids who grew up in a post 9-11 generation, they have grown up in a world consistently with political, economic, and national insecurity. They've grown up in a culture where school shootings and teen suicide is the norm. It's the norm. Terrorism and the threat of terrorism, it's the norm. And not only that, you throw in the fact that they are coming into puberty with the internet in their pocket. The challenges that that brings, the dangers that that brings. 
Uh, one noted psychologist said that the average child today, the average child today exhibits the same amount of anxiety as an average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Uh, one tech employee lamenting about the world of technology and all the bad that can come along with all the good said, we have created an environment to churn out angsty people. And then you throw on top of that every day that our kids are taught in their curriculums, they're taught that, hey, you are the product of unguided evolution, that you are just a happenstance. You are just a chance that happened once upon a time. There's really no explanation for you, but once upon a time, there was a mutation and some molecules and primordial sludge. And by chance, you became a carbon being. And now you're a carbon being, you're living in a universe that doesn't care about you. You're living in a reality where there is no God. And because the universe doesn't care and because there is no God and because you are just happenstance, your life has no inherent value. There is no such thing as inherent purpose. And you're gonna die pretty quickly. And when you do, you're gonna die without hope that there's anything beyond this life. No wonder there's some anxiety out there. No wonder there's some worry. And what's being taught to our children, it's trickled up into adults and we're all just kind of wandering through life acting as if there is no God. And so worry takes hold because worry gets attached to fear. That's what worry is, it's a low grade fear. It's dread, it's not a storm, but as one writer said, it's, it's the belief and the certainty that the storm is coming. And it's worry, it's fear, it's anxiety that'll take away your laugh, it'll take away your song, it'll take away your smile, it'll make you hollow. And you go through life waiting for the other foot to drop. Somebody gives you good news, you can find some bad in it. Somebody tells you, hey, I got some great news and you automatically go to, well, I wonder how long this is gonna last or what if this or what if that. You can't even appreciate good news because you're automatically thinking about the bad news. And maybe, just maybe, it's because it's attached to worry or fear. We're the first generation, think about this, we're the first generation in the history of the world. We cannot escape. Where can we go? We can go further and faster than we've ever been able to go before, but we can't get away from information. We can't get away from news. We can't get away from technology. We can't get away from email, can't get away from text. Everybody can get a hold of us at any given point in time. We just can't get away. And besides that, we're living at a time when the world has changed more in the last 30 years than it has in the previous 300. So yeah, there's some things for us to worry about. Worry is a whole bunch of what ifs. What, what if this changes? What if, what if the doctor says this? What if the markets crash? What if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? I remember a few years ago, I, I was convinced I was dying. Anybody ever been convinced you're dying before? No, just me, okay. so. So a few years ago, I was convinced that I was dying. I, I, I had some blood in my urine and that's probably too much information too late now. So, and, and it freaked me out and I called my wife and I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm bleeding internally. I'm bleeding internally. I mean, I am obviously on the path to death. And she says, oh no, it's no big deal. You know, you know, you just need to go see the doctor. And so she got me in to see a doctor. Well, before I got in to see the doctor, I, I was having dinner with one of our good friends that night, me and Allison, uh, hanging out with Dr. Jim Shoptal, who used to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. Here, Jim, you may be watching, so I hope you don't care me telling a story. But uh, so we were sitting at dinner and, you know, I wasn't eating. I, you know, worry does that to you. I just couldn't even eat. My appetite was gone. I was just, I, I mean, I was planning the funeral. I mean, I, I was, it was done. I mean, it was only a matter of time. I mean, this sucker's over. I mean, it's been a good dance, but the dance is a little short. And I'm sitting there and Jim says, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know, you know, and Allison said, tell him. <laughs> tell him. 
well, you know, I, I know we're at dinner, but I had some blood in my urine the other night and uh, I, I'm dying. I think I'm dying. He's like, oh, you know, I, it, you know, it could be a kidney stone. That's what I told him. That's what I told him. He goes, yeah, but you know, I had another friend, good friend of mine, about your age, had the same pain, same symptoms. It was kidney cancer. He's dead in seven months. <laughs> Well, that was the nail. And the sound of the hammer was imminent. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, then, then you know, I went to the doctor and they ordered me a CT scan and, and Allison couldn't go with me. So in those days, you know, our, our, one of our worship leaders and now one of our city councilmen here, here in London, uh, Daniel Carmack, I looked at Daniel who was on our staff at the time. I said, Daniel, you gotta go with me. You gotta be my significant other today. And I, I, I can't go be told that I'm dying alone. So, uh, you know, besides that, you, you're singing at the funeral. You can sing to me now, you know, whatever, just you're coming along. And so I went down there and I mean, I'm telling you, worry makes you dumber, not smarter. Makes you dumber, not smarter. The radiologist, one of the first things he asked me was, you know, can you make water? And I'd never heard the term before. And I thought of chemistry, H2O. And I'm like, well, I guess given enough of the tools, I, I suppose, and he looks at me like, what in the world are you talking about? He said, no, can you pee? And I was like, oh yeah, I can, I got that down. I mean, the whole chemistry of making water, I wasn't so sure about. I mean, it makes you dumb. And, and then I go into the CT scan and I'm, I'm, I'm there and, and I noticed that I went to high school with the girl who was on the other side of the glass. And I was thinking, okay, maybe I'm gonna read her body language. And, and I was sitting there and I could see her. And, and I was thinking, oh my God, this is not good. Look at the look on her. Oh my God, there's tumors everywhere. I mean, this, this is one of those moments. And I got up and, and I was still looking at her and I couldn't get her to make eye contact with me. I was just staring like, if she looks at me, I'm not dying. Because who, you don't wanna look at somebody who's dying right in the face the moment you find. And she never would look at me, I'm, like, I'm dying. This is it, it's over. Well, long story short, it was kitty so. And I'm here today. And, but that's worry. That's what worry will do. Those were days, Th those were a couple of weeks. There was no living in that. Th that's what worry does, it just sucks all of it out. And it may not be a CT scan in health for you, but it may be something altogether different that you're fixated on, obsessed with, you can't let go of, and it just robs you of today. And the point of my message today is not that things aren't that bad or everything's gonna be fine or there's nothing to be concerned about. Of course, there are things to be concerned about. We're living on a planet that's spinning a thousand miles per hour, moving through space at 67,000 miles an hour. Things could go wrong. There's meteors flying by. There's a million things that could go wrong in the planet. The point is that there's not things to worry about. There are things to worry about. So if you feel like you're losing life, listen to what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Do not worry about your life. <laughs> Shall we just close in prayer and dismiss? Isn't that good enough? Do not worry about your life. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that our souls were easily upset. Now, interesting thing, this is not a suggestion. This is a directive. So if you follow Jesus, Jesus looks at you, Jesus looks at me and says, do not worry about your life. But Jesus, do you know how hard that, yes, I do. I'm saying do not worry about your life because worry isn't worth it. Worry will cause you to forfeit today and today is all that you have. I believe Jesus was able to look out in the crowd that day and he was able to see some people and he could see the worry on their faces. He could see the angst on their faces. 
He could see the fact that worry was strangling life out of their day. And so Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And he goes on. He says, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. First of all, all of those things sound pretty important. Food, drink, clothes, you know, food, drink, shelter. All of those things feel incredibly important and they are, but Jesus said, do not even worry about what you will eat or drink or your body or what you will wear. And then Jesus is gonna do something that he does throughout this passage, just pay attention to it. He asks a question. And the reason that Jesus asks a question is because he loves for Jesus' followers to think. He doesn't want us to feel our way through life. He wants us to think our way through life. And if you feel your way through life, you'll end up worrying. But if you think your way through life and think your way through the situation, if you maintain your rational capacity, you can think yourself out of worry. You can think yourself out of this anxiety that is attached to life. So he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In other words, is life not more than what you're worried about? Is there not more to life than what you're worried about? Because that's almost certainly the case. Whatever you're worried about, is there not more to life than what you're worried about? Whatever it is, is there not more to life than what you're worried about? Now, for most of us, if not all of us, eating what you will eat and what you will drink in the near future is not of concern. You have food at home, you have drink at home, you have a refrigerator that gives you drink out of it at the push of a button. You have more clothes than you know what, you actually go give your clothes away, you have so many clothes. These are not our worry points, but that's not the point of the story. So whatever it is that you're worried about, your kids, the future, the state of the nation, you know, the economy, your personal health, you know, your job, the lack of a job, whatever it is you're worried about. Though our worries change from generation to generation, the message of Jesus remains unchanged. Jesus still says, is life not more than what you're worried about? So Jesus does a few things here that we need to pay attention to. If you take notes, you probably should put it down, put it in your phone. Jesus connects worry with tomorrow. He says, that's what drives worry, it's tomorrow. We're almost worried about tomorrow. It's about what will happen, what might happen, what could happen, what should happen. It's about the worst case scenario that, that could take place. It's always about the future. So Jesus said, you gotta realize first of all that worry is not about today, worry is about tomorrow. It's not about the present, but it's about the future. And then Jesus says, again, what you're worried about, there's more to life than that. And so Jesus puts his finger ever so slightly on this fatal illusion as Alistair Begg calls it, the fatal illusion that all of our greatest needs are physical. All of our greatest needs are not physical. Matter of fact, the greatest needs in our life are not physical. We have emotional needs, we have spiritual needs, we have psychological needs. We have needs to be loved and accepted and to be in community and to be connected with people. There's more to life than what we are fixated on almost all of the time. And what Jesus is doing is, Jesus says, let me teach you something about worry. We worry most about what is worth most to us. Our worry tells a story. So pay attention to your worry. Pay attention to what makes you anxious. Pay attention to what makes you feel stressed and what makes you feel you know, angsty. Pay attention to that because it's telling a story. 
We worry most about what is worth most to us. If you're always worried about your kids, it's because your kids are most important to you. If you're always worried about money, it's because money is most important to you. If you're always worried about what other people think about you, it's because what's most important to you is what other people think about you because you are most important to you. So pay attention to what you're worried about because what you worry most about is what is worth most to you. Worry reveals our values. Why were they concerned with drink, food, and clothing? That was the most important thing to them in a hand-to-mouth culture. So obviously it would be. For us, it's gonna be something different. Then Jesus, he's, he, he starts here and everybody's okay. Do not worry about your life. Is life not more than these things you're worried about? He says, Look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then he asks another question because he wants us to think, are you not much more valuable than they? Look at the birds of the air. And in Luke chapter 12, Luke actually records that Jesus referred to them as ravens. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But he says, look at the birds of the air. Do they look stressed out? Do you see them wringing their feathers? Look at those birds, it's like they have no care in the world. Look at them, they're even singing. If they, if they could smile behind those beaks, they're smiling behind those beaks. And they're not anything like you. You, you can anticipate the future. You can sow and reap. You can store away in barns. You can do all of that creative stuff to take care of yourself and the people that you love. They can't even do that. They don't even have that going for them. Now, here's what Jesus isn't doing. Jesus isn't pushing your responsibility, but we talked about that last week. He is pushing personal responsibility. What are these birds personally responsible to do? To work, to hunt, for food. So they're doing their part, right? They've chosen to be personally responsible today. So Jesus isn't pushing fatalism or what will be, will be. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to do about it, you know, do anything. I don't have to you know, put any effort into anything. He says, look at the birds. They're working their tail off. They're hunting until they find something to eat, but they're not overwhelmed. And then don't miss this, yet, as they're doing what they're supposed to do, your heavenly father feeds them. This is interesting. Jesus said they're not feeding themselves. They're not making their own way. They're doing what they're personally responsible to do. They're working, they're hunting, they're going and looking, they're doing everything that they can possibly do with what they've got. But yet, the creator God, heavenly father, he has reserved the right himself to feed them. Now, I told you that Jesus referred to these birds as ravens in Luke chapter 12. And what's interesting about ravens in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Leviticus, those birds were called unclean and abominable. So there's something else that Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, look at those unclean, abominable birds, those ravens. Look at those unholy, unclean birds. And God feeds them. God cares for them. God takes care of their need. And if God cares for their need, unclean, unholy, abomination, everything else that Deuteronomy and Leviticus says about them, don't you think that God will do something better and more for you since you are his son and daughter? Are you not more valuable than the birds? Are you not more valuable than this unclean raven? They can't sow, they can't save, they can't reap. 
yet your heavenly father feeds them. Don't miss it. When it comes to the birds of the air, he's involved. What? God cares enough to be involved with the birds of the air? He's present. What? He's aware of what they need. And everybody's sitting there thinking, God's got time for that. And Jesus is like, yeah, God's got time for that. But are you not more valuable than the birds of the air? Do you not think that God is involved with you? Do you not think that God knows about you? Do you not think that God is present with you in the moment of your need? This is unbelievable. If God takes care of the birds, this is Jesus' message, he will certainly take care of you. So don't worry. You are more important to God than a bird. So when somebody asks you today, what was the sermon about at church? He told us that I was more important to God than a bird. And that was the point that Jesus was making. Besides, he said, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life, can you? You can't strain it, can't make it happen, you can't manipulate it, you can't, you can't do it. So what, what are you doing, Jesus would say, by accomplishing, what are you accomplishing by worry? Is it making your life longer? No. Does it make anything better? I mean, all this fret, all this fret that Christians right now have, all this angst that Christians have right now, has it changed anything? Anybody, anywhere? No, it hasn't changed anything. Nothing's getting better. Are you stronger because you're worrying about it? No. Jesus said, what in the world do you think you're trying to accomplish? There's no value in it. There's no change in it. There's no better in it. And he says, and this, besides that, and why? And that's a great question. Why do you worry about clothes? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna go there. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. So, you know, he says, forget about the birds. Look at the flowers, look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. He said, because you're gonna learn something about why you worry from these birds and from these flowers in the field. Now he said, now take a look at those flowers. Can y'all see the flowers in your mind? See the flowers are just kind of dangling in the wind and the warm sun. And Jesus said, look at them. Look at them doing their thing. Doing their thing. Flowers being flowers. Do they look like they're a mess? I mean, are they all wilted with worry? Are they just falling apart because of what's going on around them? Look how peaceful they are. Looking for the answer that's blowing in the wind. Some of you don't know good music. I tried to give you one there, but anyway. They're out there. They're just, they're just enjoying the moment, but not stressed out. He says, yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, again, question, will he not much more clothe you? So he's wanting us to think our way through this not feel our way through it. He, he wants to get us to some good theology because theology will not only affect the way you live, but it'll affect the way you feel. If God clothes the flowers of the field, will he not clothe you? If God is aware of these flowers in the field, will he not much more clothe you? So he's making the same point. Are you not more important to God than the flowers of the field? And they're like, yeah, I think we are. But this, this is it. This, this is it, don't miss this. 
God had taken personal responsibility for the birds and for the flowers. God had taken a personal responsibility in the life of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And Jesus is about to tell us that God has taken some personal responsibility when it comes to you. That God has decided to be personally responsible for feeding those birds. God has decided to be personally responsible for clothing the flowers of the field. And God has decided to be personally responsible in your life. He says, so if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. And there's the problem. He says, you little faithers, you. You just have a little bitty faith. Now, if faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is and God will do what God says he will do. A lack of faith is a lack of confidence that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And when we have a lack of confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do, that's when worry comes in. And what happens in this moment of this lack of faith. Now, I talked about last week being personally responsible, but you can take personal responsibility too far. You take personal responsibility too far when you try to assume the things that God is responsible for as your personal responsibility. You try to take responsibility for what God said, hey, that's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. So you be personally responsible, go hunt, go do it, go look for the food, sow, reap, store in barns, do all of that. But please know at the end of the day, God has taken personal responsibility to meet your need. But if you try to step up and meet your own need, if you try to step up and take that responsibility out of God's hand because you doubt that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do, that's when you will worry because you will know that you are incapable of doing the job. You are not strong enough to bear that burden. And so we start trying to live like we can control the outcome and we, we start believing we can manipulate the pieces on the board and we're responsible for other people's choices and we try to be and, and we try to move everything the way it needs to be. We try to insulate ourselves and protect ourselves and, and it's all because we distrust God to take care of us. It's all because we distrust God to meet our needs. So we try to be God for ourselves. We try to play God ourselves. We dethrone God, enthrone ourselves. We take away God's responsibility for ourselves, And then that's when we become an emotional mess. We conflate our responsibility with God's responsibility. We try to be super responsible, even responsible for the things that God said he was responsible for. So should we work hard? Yes. Should we save? Yes. Should we plant? Yes. Should we store? Yes. Should we be wise with resources? Yes. Should we study hard? Should we put in the time? Should we do all of those things? Yes. But at the end of the day, we can only do what we can control. The rest, listen, is in God's hands. But when I try to take it out of God's hands, that is when worry becomes the weight in my life and yours that robs us of today. Worry is assuming responsibility for things that are out of, out of our control. And that's pretty much everything. How much can you control, really? Can you control the future of your children? Can you assure it 
Can you make sure of it? Absolutely, of course not. Can you control the actions and the thoughts and the behavior of others? Absolutely not. Can you control the direction of financial markets? Can you control the passing of time? Can you even control today's weather? No. So Jesus said, so do not worry. Saying, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, unbelievers, they run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So don't live like you're responsible for the things that, are God's, that God is responsible for in your life. That's what pagans do. They go live as if there's no God. And if they live as though there is a God, they, they live as though God doesn't care, that God doesn't know and God doesn't see their need and God's not interested in meeting their need. They live thinking, hey, this is all on me. I've got to figure it out. I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to make it all happen myself by whatever means necessary. Jesus said, you've got a father in heaven who sees, who knows, who cares. What if you laid down tonight? How much would it be worth if you laid down tonight? And when the worry came to mind, you heard a whisper in your ear and it was the whisper of your father saying, I know, I see, I care. And I'm gonna meet these needs that you're worried about. Wouldn't that do a world of good? But that's not the way it works. It's a matter of trust. So he says, stop running around frantically, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things are gonna be added to you. I'm taking responsibility for it, God says. You do your part, I'm gonna do my part. So don't try to do my part because when you try to do your part, you fall to pieces. When you try to control what only I can control, you fall to pieces. When you try to do what only I can do, you fall to pieces. God says, I'm taking responsibility for all these things. You do what you can, I'm gonna do what you can't. He says, so therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. You know what he's saying? Today's hard enough. Can I get a witness? Today's hard enough. Is today hard enough? It's hard enough. Why would you wanna bring tomorrow's problems into today when today's got enough problems in and of itself? Today's weighty enough. Why do you wanna bring tomorrow's weight into today? Tomorrow's burdens, tomorrow's concerns into today. Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Because it strangles out life every single time. So you be you, Jesus would say, you be you. Let God be God. And don't forget, when it comes to your life, God sees, God knows, and God cares. Let's say that out loud together. When it comes to your life, God sees, God knows, God cares. Let's substitute your with my, let's do it. When it comes to my life, God sees, God knows, and God cares. Jesus would say later on in Matthew 7, he said, this ought to make you ask for some things. This ought to give you boldness. He said, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. He says, which is you? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? What kind of father does that? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Listen to this. How much more will your heavenly father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's taking responsibility. You're more valuable to him than anything else. Another thing he doesn't want you to forget is this. Do. Do what you can do today and trust God to keep his promises tomorrow. In other words, if you can, do. If you can't, trust. If you can't, do. 
If you can't trust, if you can do. So be personally responsible and then let God be responsible for the things that he says he's responsible for. Because in the end, God was faithful yesterday. God is faithful today. God will be faithful tomorrow. So don't worry about it, whatever it is. If God was faithful yesterday with the birds and the flowers of the field, and God's faithful today with the birds and the flowers of the field, and God will be faithful tomorrow with the birds and the flowers of the field, maybe, just maybe, you can look back and see that God was faithful yesterday in your life. You can look around today and see that God's faithful in your life today. And you can begin to anticipate and trust and believe that God will be faithful in your life tomorrow. And if we believe that, why would we worry about it? So here's what I think we should do. If you're worried, I think you should speak your worry to God. I think you should spend some time and just tell God, God, this is what I'm worried about. This is, this is it. You already know it, I'm just gonna speak it. And then find a promise to speak over it. I took some time and I wrote this week, I said, I will not worry about today because God has promised me that as my days are, so shall my strength be. He promised me that his mercies are brand new today. He's already set aside today's bread, today's grace and today's blessings. Therefore, I'm left with only this to say, today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will not worry about my needs for my heavenly father knows my needs. He sees my needs, he cares about my need and he's promised to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I will not worry about the trouble going on because my father is a present help in the time of trouble. He's promised that if I call upon him in the day of trouble, he will deliver me. Jesus even says to me that in me, you have my peace and in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm not gonna worry about suffering because God promised me that my suffering will be temporary and afterward he would restore, confirm and strengthen and establish me. He promised me that the sufferings of my life is not even worthy to be compared to the glory of the life that is to come. So I'll count my trial, my suffering as joy, knowing that the testing of my faith is producing steadfastness. And when the trial has rendered its full effect, I will be perfect and complete in my faith, lacking nothing. I will not worry about my enemies because if God is for me, who can be against me? I will not worry about the future for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future because I'm confident that he who started a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus. I'm not gonna worry about failure because his grace is sufficient in all things. And in my weakness, he has made strong. I will not fear loneliness because he's promised he'll never leave, he'll never forsake. I will not worry about lack because I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. And I will not worry about death because he promised me that when I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will not fear because he is with me. To be absent from my body, God is to be present with him. God has given me every reason to trust him. He has proven his faithfulness over and over again. That's what the scriptures are all about. Abraham, when he was worried about Isaac, God said, I've got this. When David was worried about Goliath, God was saying, I've got this. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was worried about the fire, God was saying, I've got this. When Paul was a bit worried about standing before Caesar, God was saying, I've got this. Whatever it is, that's wanting to strangle life out of you today. Listen to what God is saying. He's saying, you've 
got this because I've got this and I've got you. I care more about you than I care about those birds. I care more about you than I care about those flowers. And if I take care of them, I want you to know that as your father, I have assumed personal responsibility to take care of you. And all I'm asking you to do is to trust me with that. Father, trust, little word, easy to say, hard to do. But God, turn our attention to the world around us, the animals that you care for, nature and how it exists in a system that you designed. Are we not much more valuable? God, we know we are because you bankrupted heaven for us. You sent Christ to die for us. And Romans 8, 32 says that if you spared not your own son, will you not also with him give us all things? God, why would you withhold any good thing from us? You're a good father. You're a perfect father. You're not a reflection of our heavenly father. You are a perfect father. So God, let us trust you. You're faithful. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.